Welcome to Talking Property, where you get the inside information into what's going on in the Australian and Asian property markets from leading property and investment experts. Welcome to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. I'm Nelson Yap, editor and publisher of Australian Property Journal. My guest today is Damien Collins, who's the chairman of Westbridge Funds Management. Welcome, Damien, to Australian Property Journal's Talking Property podcast. Good to be here, Nelson. Damien, uh, tell us a bit about yourself and uh, Westbridge Funds Management. Uh, Well, I've uh, been in property uh, now for almost 30 years, which um, I don't feel that old, Nelson, but that's what the... the, uh, the calendar says, our oh, background, I was uh, originally a chartered accountant that worked for one of the big four uh, uh, groups in Melbourne and uh, got out of that, moved into uh, property investment, property development, and uh, set up another business, uh, Momentum Wealth, which is still running today, uh, which is a direct residential investment uh, group, like buyers agency, mortgage broking, property management. But uh, right. uh, West, Westbridge was uh, uh, established uh, uh, the foundations of it were established almost uh, 50 years ago uh, through the company we bought out, John Mayer. But uh, uh, we've, uh, we took it over in 2015 and uh, we're a funds management group. So uh, the strategy for our clients is that residential is a great place to start investing in property. But uh, uh, really, if you're looking for an income stream in retirement and, and generating higher returns through uh, uh, perhaps take a little bit more risk through development that uh, for the vast majority of investors, uh, uh, there's simply good quality developments and good quality commercial properties are, are out of reach financially. They're uh, a good quality commercial asset these days, we think is is 10 mil minimum and sometimes higher. And, and, and it takes millions of dollars of capital to get a good development. So, so we set up the... Uh, through the acquisition and through adding on additional lines, we set up um, the syndication business so investors uh, can effectively invest. Uh, you know, we can buy assets uh, upwards of uh, one of our funds. We're aiming 150 million uh, in assets in a commercial fund. Investors can get in from uh, 50 mm-hmm. or 100 thousand dollars. So syndicating that off, uh, giving uh, people access to more investment opportunities, uh, but they don't have to own the whole asset. They get someone like us to. Uh, to acquire and manage that asset and, and send them the distributions and manage the returns and uh, and they can go and uh, enjoy life and do what they're good at. <laughs> now, this is one of the main reasons I, I, why I wanted to have you on because you have a great insight into the Perth market, into the resi commercial space, um, and there's so much happening right now. Um, so do you mind just talking through and telling our listeners and readers of APJ what's happening in the Perth market? Well, certainly in the uh, the residential market, it's uh, it's uh, quite strange at the moment. We've got uh, uh, a very significant shortage of properties uh, available, and uh, uh, we've got uh, about eight thousand advertised for sale. Now, balanced market's about thirteen thousand, and right. uh, and uh, our rental va- um, rental um, uh, vacancy rates at almost a forty year low, and I expect we will hit that in the next uh, month or two because the number of properties advertised for rent continues to diminish on a week by week basis so yes we've got and uh, as uh, your listeners will uh, will know uh, WA was effectively uh, shut off from the uh, not only the world the rest of the country uh, <laughs> yes, for, uh, that's right. almost almost 2 years and uh, we mm. had no effectively no migration well now that the borders are open uh, we've got uh, jobs galore 
And uh, certainly we are now seeing that population growth return. And of course, they generally go into the rental market. So, so we've got huge demand and uh, given uh, and WA housing market has generally been far more influenced by the strength of the economy and the jobs uh, and than interest rates. Interest rates have a moderate impact, but it, the correlation of uh, Perth house pricing is very strong towards the strength of the uh, economy uh, rather than interest rates. So, so we've got a uh, real shortage. Uh, demand is picking up and uh, and but the real the issue is the uh, the fact that uh, there's not enough uh, labour capability to build the housing that we need. Uh, there's uh, plenty of sitting tenants at the moment who are waiting for the houses to be built. Uh, they just can't get them out, out of the ground and, and completed quick enough. It's on average two years now to build wow. a house, a single residential house. It used to be nine nine months. So so. There has certainly been some construction cost challenges with that, but there right now the the uh, the residential market in uh, WA simply can't keep up with the demand, and that's uh, that's certainly starting to translate into uh, higher sales prices as well. Actually, uh, you know, just looking at, I think it's a trend that we're seeing national too. I had a, f- a friend of mine who runs a building company, and he says that he's lost probably three or four tradies to the infrastructure project projects so it seems like you know that labor market is now the in the construction sector competing with the government infrastructure projects that obviously is drawing a lot of you know labor uh, and, and work uh, taking all the construction jobs and people prefer to go there which is now um, means that the construction sector doesn't have as many workers well in, in wa you've got you've got, uh, you've got that but also you've got the uh the mining sector as well. So the mining oh, sector yes, of course. Mm. Can t- has, uh, is able to offer far higher rates uh, of pay um, uh, than, uh, than the construction sector has historically been able to. And uh, so that's uh, taken out some labour. We also had a, a long downturn, five or six year downturn in uh, Perth after the last construction big increase back in the middle of 2013-14 uh, and early fifteen. We had a five or six year downturn. So a lot of that labour left anyway. But right now, yes, you're competing against the mining sector, who are just incredibly short on labour, looking for looking for workforce and uh, mm. and and infrastructure as well. So we've got uh, uh, you know builders telling us that uh, concrete uh, uh, concrete in the commercial sector they've they've got infrastructure on uh, all the metronet you know the concrete uh, yes. the wall, walls along the freeway they're that busy that it's hard to get them and piling that with all the train lines getting built so the government has seen the light they are dialing down uh, some of the uh, infrastructure they're delaying it and uh, but the stuff that's already on the go they they obviously can't do that um, uh, so that is continuing to be a real uh, a real challenge and that's one of the reasons why we don't have that labor capability uh, in, uh, in in WA we're seeing it around the country as well but also that's uh, true yeah that's, that's that's why we are seeing quite significant price increases uh, more so in the commercial sector um, where the uh, it's competing against that infrastructure less so in the residential single house townhouse market but certainly in the commercial apartment sector uh, cost escalation has been uh, pretty significant. This is the, uh, I, I wanted to actually ask you on that too. I mean, we're talking about wanting to bring back um, workers and skilled migration into the country, into Perth, into Melbourne, Sydney. And you're saying how, you know, new completions are being delayed. How do we overcome this challenge where we, you know, bring the housing supply uh online faster so we can actually you know accommodate the workers if we do bring them into the country because where are they going to stay 
Well, that's the issue, and and mm. and, and right now there's uh, there's uh, plenty of people starting to come back in. Uh, I saw the March quarter of 2022 across the country. Uh, population growth, net international migration was almost 100,000 just in one quarter. So uh, mm. so the people are coming. There's lots of jobs here and uh, uh, people will certainly be, be coming, um, particularly as we get to Northern Hemisphere winter. I think that'll uh, shake some people up to uh, want to get out of those colder colder climates. So, look, there's no, unfortunately, there's no easy solution. One of the things that um, people make adjustments to their lifestyle, so certainly in the rental market, uh, uh, people with COVID, that was one of the reasons we are in this housing shortage at the moment is people spread out more. And yes. uh, uh, the Reserve Bank estimated about another 140,000 households were created because of COVID. They, uh, people wanted to uh, not have as much density in their house. Uh, we'll, we will now that rents are increasing and and, uh, and cost of living is increasing, people will are now less concerned about COVID and more concerned about cost of living. Uh, well, that will help a bit. People will start to perhaps... Uh, uh, a group house, people might have had two in it. They might get a third person in. Perhaps someone with a mortgage might go, oh, I'll get a share person in my house to uh, help offset that mortgage costs that have increased. But but that only works for some people. Obviously, families, that's really not practical if they've got no. uh, two, two or yeah. three kids to uh, to make those changes. So, so that'll, that will, household adjustment will, in terms of size will help around the edges. But, but ultimately, it's... Um, we need to really, as a country, and and uh, focus on getting that skilled labour in, and uh, and certainly the government seems to be, in both federal and state, seem to be heading in that direction. That they've uh, loosened the uh, uh, the restrictions on uh, on uh, on visas that will that will help. Uh, but the reality is, uh, even if you get uh, another you know, 10, 15, 20,000 construction workers in the country tomorrow. Uh, the housing and the and the apartments they're working on is still going to be twelve months to uh, two two years two away years from completion. Away. So, uh, mm. so we're we're certainly nationally right. I, I see we're going to have a real housing shortage and uh, uh, for the next couple of years, and um, that will to some degree um, uh, help offset uh, some of the uh, pressure from interest rate rises that uh, are having a negative effect on on the, on property values. Absolutely. That, that, that's a very good point you make there. Um, I wanted to now also look at uh, what's happening in the Perth industrial market. There is a lot of activity. Um, and obviously, we all know that, you know, e-commerce is driving a lot of it. But you've also in Perth, you've got the mining uh, sector as well that drives activity there. So can you sort of shed a light on what's happening in the industrial space? Yeah, well, right now, Australia sits as the lowest uh, vacancy rate industrial market of anywhere in the world. And mm-hmm. Perth, Perth is, has the lowest industrial vacancy rate in Australia. Uh, so effectively, it's got the lowest industrial vacancy rate uh, in any place around the world. Uh, yes. Yeah. about 0.2% uh, last I saw. So it's, it's just incredibly uh, tight. And uh, it's been driven by uh, a couple of factors. So we all know... Um, e-commerce took off substantially during, um, it was already growing anyway, but during COVID, it took off obviously uh, substantially more as people yes. purchased online. Companies were scrambling for storage and distribution facilities to cope with that additional demand. They weren't selling it as much at the um, at the retail stores. So that certainly increased the demand for uh, distribution uh, distribution centres. Uh, the other th- issue has been the supply chain challenges. Everyone was used to just in time. Uh, you'd uh, you'd uh, get a package in your warehouse and you'd hopefully sell it out the next day and move it on. Uh, mm. Well, of course, uh, uh, companies are a bit uh, with with the shortage of uh, 
the supply chain challenges. Uh, people are sick to death of uh, waiting for packages and waiting for goods to come. So companies are now expanding their footprint. They're going to carry a bit more stock yes. um, on hand. Uh, so that will in- that's certainly increasing the demand for, again, uh, logistics and, and warehouse. But 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 in WA also really importantly is the mining sector is a and mining services drives a very strong um, uh, very strong demand for in, uh, warehouse and, and particularly industrial facilities. A lot of the uh, a lot of the repairs to mining equipment is done back based out of Perth. Um, uh, equipment storage uh, is uh, based out of Perth. So that mining sector demand has been particularly strong. Uh, and and the good news in uh, in the, the Perth context, is um, the, uh, the the a lot of the work that's coming is not just the traditional iron ore and um, and gas uh, industries that uh, have been dominant. Certainly, the new yes. tech, the new commodities for the uh, the new modern world, the um, uh, the commodities lithium and and other commodities that are important in um, in batteries and nickel and so forth. Uh, WA is very blessed to have a lot of those. So, mm-hmm. so a lot of the projects that are coming out of the ground aren't you, aren't just your traditional gas. There is a big gas project going at Scarborough. Iron ore is consistently having to um, build and expand new mines uh, because of uh, the, uh, the ship, shipping uh, uh, circa 700 million, 800 million tonnes a year out of uh, WA. Uh, into overseas markets, so but it's also those new ones as well. So the people I speak to in um, in mining services uh, say they've got to order books uh, uh, as far, as far as the eye can see, at least out <laughs> at least out for four more years. So that um, that's has a particularly uh, certainly that's particularly important for looking at the industrial sector and. Um, and look, we've been uh, not just in Perth. We've been buying uh, nationally in um, in Westbridge funds in our in industrial portfolio. We've added to that quite significantly over the last five years, and that's uh, proven to be uh, a good uh, selection. As um, uh, because uh, certainly, not only did values increase with uh, uh, stronger demand from investors seeing uh, what was happening in the industrial market, we also saw rents. We're seeing rent growth and. Uh, uh, I expect just given that shortage again, uh, and the uh, and the long lead time into bringing new stock, that um, we are going to continue to see rent growth uh, uh, in the industrial sector uh, right across the country, but but particularly so in in Perth. Yeah. So in the industrial space right now, and particularly in Perth, um, what are the compositions of ownerships? Is it institution, private, or is it uh, sort of high net worth investors? Who are the Predominant it's, owners of it's, assets. It's, it's a bit of everything. There is a quite a, um, particularly in the new in the new land uh, areas, the new development. There's a lot of um, there's a few family groups who do control quite a bit of the uh, the new land releases. So we haven't right. seen haven't seen the uh, uh, as you would see in the east coast, where it's the big listed uh, yes. uh, groups who um, do control a lot of the industrial uh, land. It's certainly much more family owned. Um, uh, from a few high net worth families who've been in the sector for uh, many decades, and that, um, and uh, so that certainly, um, you know, they don't have to answer to shareholders. Um, uh, so they're uh, they can drip it out at uh, their own speed. Whereas obviously the list, <laughs> listed companies, listed companies uh, uh, tend to want to get it out and get the profits on the book because they've got shareholders to answer to as well. So that's right. So so it is a little bit different. There, there has been more of the bigger groups um, buying, uh, investing in in. In some subdivisions, uh, certainly in the in the finished product, we've seen some of the bigger the bigger REITs uh, start to invest in that. But historically, uh, it, it's certainly nowhere near the institutional money that you would have seen uh, in in Sydney, and Melbourne. It's certainly a lot more privately owned over in Western Australia. 
Mm. Now, I obviously, you know, I want to now talk about residential because a lot of listeners and readers uh, are interested in that sector. Um, you, you know, at Westbridge, you're seeing some interesting trends in the in your residential funds uh, side um, with rising building costs. Do you want to sort of shed a light what's happening there? Yeah, well, look, we're, we're mm. Perth, like all places across the country, has seen uh, significant cost increases um, uh, during the last uh, two or three years um, uh, uh, since we hit COVID and, uh, uh, and, and for the reasons we mentioned earlier about the labour shortages as demand has returned. So it has been interesting, though. We've seen the cost escalation be quite different in the residential uh, single dwelling or townhouse market versus when you look at the commercials where I'm, and when I mean commercial, I'm talking about apartment buildings with basement parking and, and multi-storey where you've got cranes on site. So mm. that sector has, uh, has uh, the apartment sector cost escalation has been around about 40%. And, uh, and so that has made a lot of projects unviable. Uh, we have yes. seen, we've seen price escalation, but not to the extent of the cost escalation. So it depends on the, on the project. So we are, the development, residential developments we're focused on have been at that premium end. So uh, uh, we've got one that we only launching just this week in Crawley uh, on the waterfront uh, in Perth. Um, now that is still viable um, be, uh, into the pre-sale market because the cost of construction is only about 40% of the total value of that site. So even, right. though, we've, we've, even though we've seen that uh, you know, pretty significant cost increase, um, uh, because that, that the the because because the cost component, the construction component, is only forty percent of the total value. We only needed to see about fifteen percent um, uh, price increase to cover those costs, which we have seen. If you had a project that was in more of the middle or outer suburban areas, um, there where your construction cost might be seventy percent, your land value a lot less. Wow. Uh, that just wouldn't you wouldn't be able to wear those cost increases because the values. And so, so right now in the apartment sector, it's only really premium. Uh, locations that uh, you can get projects off the ground. The the middle ring suburbs just not going to uh, not going to happen. But what we have seen is the in the residential market, and the reason for that is the commercial sector in the apartment builders are not just building apartments; they're building hospitals, schools, uh, all the yeah, a lot of the supply chain there is competing against and, and looking at supplying infrastructure as well. So mm. that's that market, and of course we've got mining sector sucking labour away from that area. So that that sector is still construction wise red hot and uh, very challenging to build in. But what we have seen is in the residential single home market, we saw the big increase in demand uh, during that grant period. Every state and territory and and the federal government. Oh, that's out, right. The home builder mm. gave out all the grants um, for uh, people to uh, uh, to build homes. We saw a huge escalation in uh, in new people wanting those grants, upwards of forty five thousand in WA. So people took that opportunity to try and build a home. But what we saw was very much uh, like a, a very a mountain um, in terms of uh, the uh, escalation and the rapid decline. So right now we went from. You know, around about eleven hundred to twelve hundred uh, uh, building approvals a month pre-COVID to two to two and a half thousand. We're right okay. back to eleven or twelve hundred. So, so what we have seen is the um, is the cost escalation wasn't as much, and yeah. and it, and we anticipated it's more likely um, to start to taper off. Once it would come back in a hurry, might come back a few, you know, maybe five percent. But uh, that that area because of new new approvals coming through. Uh, is very low. We are now just starting to see the early phase of um, uh, bricklayers starting to look for a little bit of work. Concrete is starting to look for a little bit of work. So that front end, the back end is still very busy. The roof uh, 
roofing, uh, carpentry, uh, kit cabinet makers, that's still very busy at the back end. But that will eventually, as that pipeline goes through, uh, mm. uh, taper off. And uh, and that means that we will see some um, some return to some levels of normalcy in um, in in the cost there. So so the, the townhouse sector very much is almost like a single residential uh, property. Uh, the, the labour you would use on a single house or two storey house is very similar to what you would use in a townhouse. Same with the materials. So so we are seeing light at the end of the tunnel. There we're seeing cost escalation circa twenty percent. So we pivoted in our business and um, and for our clients in the, the syndicated development opportunities um, uh, some 12 months ago, uh, we could see that apartments were going to be challenging for quite a period of time because of the competition with infrastructure and mining, the single residential stuff, we could see that was coming off uh, with new approvals. So so we anticipate, um, we've bought a lot of projects recently, we've, uh, uh, we've got uh, about four or five townhouse developments um, at early phases. We anticipate by the time we get to get through all the development approval uh, processes and uh, get to documentation and to get to tendering, and uh, pricing those jobs uh, in sort of nine to twelve months, we think uh, it'll be much more realistic and uh, and uh, pricing market, and um, uh, and we also think that uh, the timeframes will come back a bit as well because that uh, a lot all that backlog should mostly be out of the system, and the front end of new approvals is very low, so there should be a lot more labour around and materials around to build uh, build the housing uh, coming into middle and latter half of twenty twenty three. Yeah, and this is you. T- you talked about this and how you pivoted towards townhouses um, instead of apartments. I, and earlier you mentioned in you know in terms of WA, the market's not so much uh, impacted by interest rates as the East Coast, where high, high you know values are a lot higher. Um, I want to now look at sort of when you market your products, your, for example, your townhouses. What buying? Uh, so what type of buyers are coming to to uh, look at these products or purchasing these products? It's generally, particularly in the premium areas, uh, and in Perth, um, in Melbourne and Sydney, of course, I grew up in Melbourne, the uh, eastern suburbs of the premium areas in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, yes. In Perth, in Perth, because we're on the west coast, the western side of town is the <laughs> premium. So everyone wants to be closer to the beaches and Cottesloe and City Beach and inner city, Subiaco and Dalkeith and these sort of areas. So so we very much have been targeting that, um, that, that premium market because, uh, uh, like all capital cities, uh, we are starting to see those baby boomers uh, uh, age and uh, they're now getting into their, certainly their late fifties and many in their sixties and even seventies. So, mm. so they're, they're at a fa- phase of their life where generally the children have grown up, uh, moved out in, in most cases and, uh, and they're looking for that lifestyle change. Now the difference in Perth is that uh, Perth has been very much um, a single residential uh, market predominantly. Um, apartments and townhouses are a much smaller sector of the market. When we look at Sydney, of course, uh, nearly 60% of all new approvals are in that um, uh, that medium to high density market. Perth has been right. much, clo- much closer to 15%. But we are now seeing that demand come in where people are looking at, well, I'm 65, 70 or 75, whatever that may be. Um, and, and because apartments are newer to Perth, they generally are a bit, uh, well, they haven't bought off the plan before. Um, they generally are a little bit uh, more gun shy. They certainly, some will go into apartments. There is a, there is demand there, but not, not to levels of Sydney and Melbourne. So a lot of them are very keen to go into something that's more manageable. Still feels like a house, a townhouse. Uh, you've got your own walls. Um, you, uh, you've got your own space. You've not got someone above or below you. 
but it is that low maintenance block and 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 obviously newer products. So, so certainly that's what we've seen. The uh, demand is coming from the baby boomers uh, who are downsizing, and but we also do find now that uh, Perth has a house has the cheapest housing in the country. The median house price yes. in the in Perth, five thirty, in Sydney, it's about one point five five. So it's about a third of what it is in Sydney, and less than half of Melbourne. So, so um, it is still relatively cheap overall. But if you want to get into the premium suburbs like Cottesloe, Dalkeith, um, and these areas that are you know right near the beach or near the river, you know, five to ten kilometres out of the city, uh, it is still expensive. It's still medium price in Dalkeith and Cottesloe is around three million plus or minus a little bit. So. So for a lot of people, uh, they want to get into these areas. Um, uh, that three million price tag um, uh, might be a, a little bit high. So they're looking at uh, you know things in the lower mid twos, perhaps in Delkeith, um, and uh, where they can get into uh, the market. They might be couples, um, or and they might have no children, or perhaps have one child or two. And uh, but that's their entry point into these more affluent markets. And once they get their foot on the ground, as their lifestyle changes and evolves they might and their wealth grows and their income grows in their in their jobs or their business they might then move into a a house further down the path although many people do find once they get into a townhouse they're very happy with it uh they and most people these days uh now that we're out of lockdown and covid uh are not spending all that much time at home anyway so uh, <laughs> so yeah it's you've got both ends you've got that 30-ish 30 professional level in the 30s who yeah. are looking to buy into the more affluent suburbs and the ones who are already there who want to get out of that big block. And lots of those blocks, particularly in Delkeith, a quarter acre, 1,000 metres, uh, it just uh, becomes a pain for people when they get to that age. They don't want to be spending all their time in the garden. So so quite good, solid demand, and we're, and we're seeing that uh, in the products that we're developing, uh, particularly once they're finished. Uh, people love to uh, see it, touch it, feel it. Um, product goes uh, very, very quickly. Mm. And uh, this is another thing too, uh, an interesting trend. Obviously, I've seen it on the East Coast with build to rent, but we haven't heard much about it in Perth. What's the interest like there or, or you know, um, what are people thinking about when it comes to build to rent in Perth? Look, it, it's it's a it's an interesting, and we're we're um, we are certainly looking at that space um, uh, for our clients, and uh, mm. we do actually hold some. We hold a uh, an apartment building in the Pilbara uh, that's got very high rental returns, and we that was a yes. big success. A lot of our clients uh, uh, went into that one. Um, it, it's it's definitely coming. Uh, there is uh, still the uh, uh, the return expectations are, um, are the particular challenge. We can go and buy a commercial property, um, and uh, you know, obviously with tenants paying nearly all the costs, if not all the outgoings in the commercial mm. world, uh, we, you know we can we can buy assets, and we have recently bought assets at seven percent yields um, uh, net, some in the sixes and and that sort of range. So, uh, but even you know, the, the the peak there when rent yields came down you could still buy commercial properties in that five to five and a half percent net range the challenge with the build to rent sector is in residential is that uh, in perth even with you develop it so you, you're taking out 15 percent margin uh, by not buying the end product even when you develop it um, the gross yields are still five five and a bit the net, right. yields, are net yields are still going to be in the threes mm-hmm. and so so that's the expectation you've, that in, um, investors will get lower um, uh, they'll get certainly get lower um, rental returns, um, and this is unlevered, of course. We're mm. talking about no debt, and uh, but to me, a residential property uh, carries less risk. Um, uh, so if you've got a block of 100 apartments uh, versus one commercial property with um, a, a, a tenant in it, if that commercial tenant leaves, 
uh, well, then the reality is that you could sit vacant. Um, clearly not so much in this market with its red mm. hot, but it's certainly we all know in times gone past, uh, uh, properties can sit vacant sometimes for years. In a residential context, you've, you, you've, if you've got a vacancy rate of 3 or 4%, that, that'd be unusual. Um, you know, that's, and that's a really even around a balanced market of about 2 to 3%. So, so the returns are uh, less. Um, the, uh, so investors need to get their head around that. Institutional money, I think, where is most of the bill to rent is going to come from. I think uh, uh, in the residential sector, a lot of people, of course, can go and buy it directly themselves. Um, yes. Uh, they, they can negatively gear it. Uh, so, uh, so that's uh, for some people they're cu- very comfortable, and Australians love residential property, and um, <laughs> so that's what most of them have done. Uh, many people have done over the years. I think the, it needs institutional support and uh, institutional super fund money, who appreciate that it is a lower yielding product, but it is potentially um, still a total return. You might get still total return seven eight percent per year. That's generally going to be pretty good, and it's uh, certainly part of a super funds uh, super funds portfolio. I haven't seen as much demand from individual investors yet. I think individual investors who are looking for yield are uh, still focused on the commercial space, um, and particularly where they can spread their their money in multiple funds, so they haven't got all their eggs in one basket. They they're still um, the individual investor preference has still generally been uh, around uh, the commercial space rather than the residential build to rent. I think when you look at it globally, I think we've got some certainly some uh, there's some great opportunities there. It will come, but I think it's going to be a evolution rather than a, rather than a revolution. Mm-hmm. Interesting thoughts there, definitely. I'm I also noticed with you know Westbridge that you do invest in the retail space too, and you talked about retail earlier. The challenges, obviously, during COVID, um, we saw a lot of growth in online shopping and e-commerce, um, but now you know, obviously with no more lockdowns, people are heading back to shopping centres. Um, what's happening in the retail market for investments and and in general for trade? Obviously, you haven't had um, sort of, the, I, I see the property council figures of the return to office, the office occupancy is much higher in Perth than it is in the cities like Melbourne and Sydney. So what's happening there? Well, uh, I'll talk about retail uh, generally, then we're happy to talk about city retail and office because that's a bit more of a challenge. Mm. But certainly... yes. Look, we, we've always liked the the neighbourhood centre and the large format retail, and, and it was certainly going back 10 years. We could all see uh, that e-commerce was going to change the world to uh, to some degree, but when you look uh, and a lot more people are going to buy stuff online and get it home delivered or, or go and... But we also saw that people are going to do click and collect and uh, uh, that... And when you look at Australia and particularly cities like Perth that are very mm. spread out, um, um, all the... Um, the last mile distribution is actually is your local Woolworths or your Coles, right? That is, uh, yes. uh, by and large, their, their distribution strategy is still the local supermarket. People either come in and shop themselves or they do click and collect, particularly in spread out cities. It just doesn't make sense to uh, home deliveries. They do, but they're not making any money on it when they're shipping it, getting in a truck and driving it 40 kilometres away uh, to deliver to someone's home. That's not going to make the money in the long run. They want to get people to come to the neighbourhood centre. So we could see that. That the neighbourhood centre, particularly when they've got uh, no internal malls or um, they've got outdoor parking, uh, very low cost to run, uh, and the co- total cost of the rents as part of their turnover, generally in a Coles or Woolworths environment, it could be three to five percent. So it's right. very, it's very, very low. Same with the, the large format retail. Again, your rents, anyway, depending on the area, two hundred to three fifty a metre. 
very low outgoings again because you've got parking at grade, outdoor parking, not not a lot of running indoor mall, no security, all those sort of things. So that is still even for a lot of those large format retailers. That is their distribution centre. People look online, but they'll come into their local shop necessarily to buy it, or if even if they buy it online, they'll pick it up from their local um, large format retail shop. Uh, and uh, and are less inclined to get home delivery. They get a bit of it. So so we're always we're confident that retail, and particularly neighbourhood centre and large format retail with their low operating costs, we're still very much part of the, the distribution facility for um, getting products to consumers, and we're still very confident on, on, that, on that as well. And uh, we continue to invest in that space. And uh, I certainly, uh, yeah, even though we will see the growth of uh, online shopping, uh, certainly large format retail is not going out of business and uh, neither those neighbourhoods and in fact, uh, I know certainly there's many of those operators looking for sp- space in, in Perth at the moment as, as we speak. So the, the city retail is a bit more challenging because uh, we have seen the, and we don't own any city retail, um, um, and we decided uh, not to do that a long time ago for, mm. uh, for some of these reasons that uh, we could see that um, remote working was picking up. Uh, we certainly we obviously didn't foresee COVID and didn't foresee the explosion in work from home that uh, <laughs> no. That happened that that rapidly, but you could see that there would be people less likely to be in the office and more likely to be working some part of the week from home. So obviously, COVID just blew it to a whole new level that no one could foresee. So that is a real real challenge. I do feel for retailers in the CBD. When uh, uh, you mentioned uh, earlier, Perth, I think it's got seventy percent people back to work. But yes. still, that's that's a big hit. Um, if you're a city retailer cafe and uh, uh, when uh, 30% or, of at least of people aren't there and Sydney, Melbourne, it's even worse. Or I think the numbers are below 50% uh, back yes, in the market. Yes, they are. So, mm. And we know, I can't say we're ever going to go back to um, five days a week, everyone in the office five days a week. Just don't think it's uh, practical for people's busy lifestyles. Um, and I think uh, particularly in the bigger cities, the long commutes, uh, an hour to hour and a half each way. Um, if you want to be an employer of choice and you start telling people they've got to be in the office five days a week, you'll soon um, uh, people will vote with their feet and uh, and won't uh, won't do that. So uh, so so city retailing is and, and 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 office space has got some challenges. I think the office will recover. Um, mm. uh, but, um, uh, it, you know, people still will have an office core base, and you've got to allow for your um, peak traffic. You can't just say, well, I've got. 30% of people home, um, I only need 30, 70, you know, can cut my space 30%. The reality is on some days it'll be 85% of people in. So that's still our our philosophy and analysis on this is we think, you know, realistically companies could cut maybe 10% of their space, uh, I think, uh, but they're not going to be cutting 30 40%. So the offices uh, will still be a core requirement of business. Uh, people will come back, albeit they'll be in the office less days. Companies will be able to cut a little bit of space, but they're not going to be able to cut uh, massive amounts of uh, of office space out of their requirements in the long run. No, that's an interesting. Um, you see that way because I think a lot of the research also points that way that even if there is a you know three or four day working week, um, well, well, sorry, three or four days where they come into the office. Um, yes, the, the reduction in office space or office demand is sort of minimal. Um, also, a lot more tenants are now requiring or, or prefer space that's more collaborative. Um, so, yeah, they, it, it, we're finding that in Melbourne and Brisbane that they're, oh, sorry, Melbourne and Sydney and, and Brisbane too, that they're increasing their footprint uh, in that sense. So, um, yes, it's, I don't think, um, unfortunately for the CBD retailers, I just don't think that, that, that anyone in the major capital cities like Melbourne, Sydney would want to return to um, full day, uh, particularly now that, you know, if the 
excise is removed for the petrol, the petrol prices are going to go up again. So I don't think they want to be wasting their money sitting in traffic. Um, no, and that that is hmm. the, that that is the challenge. As I say, the the office demand will still be there. And if um, you know, my office is an example. I've got people who come in three and four days a week, and at that level, you don't tend to desk share, particularly mm-hmm. in, in a Perth context, because of the rents are a lot lower than Sydney. Uh, you, you don't really get to that point. Well, if someone's in three or four days a week, that's generally their permanent desk. Um, mm. And you, and more so in high-cost centres in around the world and in Sydney, people might companies might try and get them to share a little bit more. Um, so you've still got that same demand, that same footprint. If you've got 150 Absolutely. staff, mm. you, you probably still need 150 desks. You might be only able to shrink it a little bit. But you, but I, I agree with you on the retail. Um, even um, uh, while the desk requirements of 150 staff might still be 150 desks or maybe 145, uh, the retail, the reality is that when people aren't in that three days a week, there's two days a week that they're not spending on the cafes, the restaurants, the, the shopping, the general other facilities. So so I think city retail has um, certainly got some real challenges um, and it's kind of unfortunately going to take many years uh, uh, to uh, recover and until really there's more um, new people, more buildings um, come in the CBD. So, yeah, that's uh, an area that we're not unfortunately, and uh, and I don't see mm. that getting any any better anytime soon. Mm. Now, one final question. Um, this is one that uh, is totally unexpected. You you come from a, a town with two footy teams only. So, which one do you parry for? Well, I, um, Nelson, I don't want to offend your audience, but because I'm an ex-Victorian, I've stuck with my um, my Victorian team, and that's uh, oh. Collingwood, oh, right. so and that's 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 the normal response I get. Oh, you've got your own teeth in your Collingwood supporter, but yes, I do. I have my own teeth, and I went to uni. Um, so a very rare Collingwood supporter, but uh, no, I'm I'm joking, of course. A Collingwood but, uh, supporter in in Perth, yeah, yes, interesting. And uh, I was very ple- very very pleased when they beat Fremantle the other week. I certainly had um, some good office banter with uh, my colleagues here in the office, um, many who are Fremantle or, or West Coast. So uh, so yeah, now I, I imagine have, I've uh, changed my cricket team to the West Australian cricket team, but my AFL team I'm sticking with Collingwood. But you, you must have been disappointed when they lost by a point. Well, yes, it was disappointing. <laughs> to but, Sydney, to then they to win and to get thrashed by Geelong. Yeah, so it go. was it was disappointing, but I think Geelong were always going to win. I think no matter who they played. So, uh, mm. um, having witnessed enough Collingwood grand final losses, uh, I, I was happy to be spared one more. <laughs> it's all right. Look, my team didn't even make it to the final eight, so um, I, I'm sitting here. We're still waiting for our time. Eventually, uh, it'll happen. It'll come. It'll yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much, Damien, for joining me on Australian Property Journal's Talking Podcast. It was a pleasure having you. My pleasure, Nelson. Take care.